Good morning, everybody. Now, I don't want to trick you. I'm not here for announcements this week. So it is, it's really good to be here. Uh, and, and man, it's really good to be uh, with, with you. Uh, last week, our family uh, was on vacation. We got to take a road trip, uh, which for some of you sounds like the third level of hell. Uh, we loved it. It was great. Uh, we got to go to D.C. and see Gettysburg and uh, touch base with some friends at a church in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Uh, and for any part where that wasn't fun, we ended in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So chocolate galore. Yeah, see, okay. If you're clapping that hard at the end of the sermon, we'll be okay. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but hey, uh, man, just it's refreshing uh, for, for us and our family just to be here with you uh, this morning, and it's, it's, it's fun to be home. It's fun to be with family, uh, and so we're excited uh, to be here, uh, but also not just to do announcements. We've got some stuff to talk about. Um, as we go through uh, the, uh, this, this section of scripture that, that Pat's been uh, leading us through uh, with some powerful reminders uh, of the goodness of God's word. As we jump in, uh, I, I want to ask you this, if you got that picture on the screen, have you ever seen a picture like this? Right? Uh, what's the first thing you see? Go ahead and say it out loud. Right? Some of you saw an older man staring at an older woman or more mature woman, right? Some of you saw a golden goblet. Some of you, uh, if you look close, you can see in the faces, there's a, a woman working and a guy playing guitar. Does that sound like your house, right? Uh, and, and one of the reasons, I love these pictures. I love these images mainly because the longer you take to sit and look at it, uh, the more stuff you find. Uh, is the, the more you sit and stare, uh, the more nuances you see. Now, if you've ever done any kind of art uh, or, or any kind of, yeah, really any kind of artistic anything, right? You can look at this. It takes a lot to plan and prepare uh, the kind of scene that has multiple images all laid in it. Uh, I, I'm, I love art. Uh, I love uh, looking at it. I love uh, creating. I love doing all those kind of things. Uh, I love the art museum downtown, and one of the reasons is there's so many pictures where when you're looking at it, you see one thing, but the longer you sit and stare, you notice that there's something over here, and the artist put something in this area, and the way that the person's pointing points to something you never saw before. And for us, what I want us to think through, and Pat's done, uh, been leading us through this final conversation Jesus has had with his disciples before going into the garden and being arrested, and if you're like me, these verses can seem like this picture. Uh, what I mean is, there's a familiarity to it. Uh, you know, Jesus says, love me. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, we're supposed to do that. And, you know, we get through all the, we're so familiar with it, we forget the power in it, and we forget that this is a Jesus teaching. Uh, these aren't cute suggestions. This is him instructing his people on how we are supposed to live so that there is light in the world and there is salt of the earth, that we get to be these people that uh, live out this life that Jesus called us to live into. The familiarity of his words caused me to glance and too often assume that I've got the full picture and just move on. Have you ever done that? But the longer we sit and the longer we look and really listen, we'll find that there's a whole lot more going on. Now, the more we sit with this teaching, this teaching, and Jesus, uh, and sorry, in, in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, the longer we get to sit here and we pay attention that Jesus isn't just throwing stuff out there. 
that he's really imparting a way of life uh, that, that, that he's directing and commanding us as his people to live out. We see who he is, we understand what he's doing, but then we also get this glimpse, and this is the scary part, of what's required of us as we follow him. Last week, in John chapter 15, verse 9, Pat worked through this verse. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide, or rest, or, or, or move into, or camp out, and make your home in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. And here's what I know. Some of us, uh, there's, there's stuff attached to the word love, no matter who we are and how we walk in. For some of us, uh, maybe you've been hurt by someone you love that said they loved you back, and love uh, has a knee-jerk reaction where you just don't believe it. For some of you, maybe your definition of love has become so watered down that God's love for us has lost its perceived power, right? Because I can at one end say I love cheeseburgers, I can say I love the bears, and I can say I love Jesus, and sometimes like, well, what does love even mean at that point, Right? Maybe your experience with the church or other people has been so bad that you don't think they deserve to be loved by you. And it's how you choose to give that love and who you believe deserves it. And maybe even if you believe you're deserving of it in return. But today what I would love for us to do as we enter into this section of John 15 is surrender how we feel about the word love, surrender how we feel about the people around us, and maybe surrender how we felt about Jesus. If you would start over and let this teaching from Jesus rewrite our understanding of who he is and what he's called us to be and what this looks like. And his calling for your life, I believe that God by his spirit would awaken something in you that would help you align your relationship with God, his relationship with you, but then also what he has for your life. Uh, What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand as I read John chapter 15. It's only a few verses, so don't worry, your knees will be okay. But I want you just to, if closing your eyes is helpful, if you're going to fall asleep, don't do it right? Whatever's helpful for you, but I would love for you just to listen and not just listen to like, let it go into your ears, like listen to understand it. I want you to hear because this is Jesus sitting with his disciples. He's just washed their feet. He's not yet gone to Gethsemane. And this is the stuff that he's, he's not leaving without sharing this to his disciples. There's a, there's a heaviness in here and I want us to grab onto it. So if you'll just listen or hear this, He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, that you love one another. Father, we are asking that as we dive into this teaching of Jesus, God, that your spirit would make known to us what we need from it, uh, to be able to live this out, to walk it out. God, we pray that 
um, that, that, there were, that we would learn something from your word that maybe we don't know, uh, that you would correct some stuff in us that has gone uh, different ways, that you would rebuke things in us where we think we've got a pridefulness that we're right, that you would call us back from that, and that you would equip us for every good work that you've called us to do. Father, we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can sit. What I want us to do as we go through this section of John 15, you can keep it open on your phone or, or, or in your Bible. Uh, we're going to have it on the screen as well as we go through piece by piece. I want us to see this. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, how God's love for us and how we love God in return. And I've been sitting on for a couple weeks Pat's question of how well are you doing at loving God? And today I want us to take that and, and redirect it. Uh, take that question of how, do, do we believe that God loves us? How are we doing it loving him back? And what does that actually look like for the people around us? I want us to think through who we love and how we love. And in this section, it starts in verse 12. And I'm going to ask us to think through this. We are commanded to love others like Jesus. More specifically, we're commanded to love others in the way that Jesus has loved us. We're commanded. Did you get that word? You should highlight it, bold it, use a highlighter. Make sure that one sticks out. We are commanded to love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. Now, I'm not going to ask Pat's question, how do you think you're doing on a scale of 1 to 10 on that one? Because I don't want to give you my answer, right? He says, this is my command that you love one another just as I have loved you. In loving each other, it's Jesus talking to his disciples. He's telling the disciples the way you disciples love each other. It's, there's a command there. You don't get away from it. This isn't optional in the Jesus following life. You don't get to choose whether you want to or not. Get it? Uh, these are the guys that, uh, that he's been walking with. Sorry, not just, these are the people who have been following him, who's been walking with him, and he's letting them know the way that you love each other. This is a command that the way you're going to love each other is going to be a direct reflection of the way that I've loved you. So as we go through this, I want us to understand the who we're supposed to love in this section is the people in this room. It's the other Jesus followers that we live in community with, that we live life with. It's our church family. Uh, it's the ones who travel through life together, uh, following the, uh, Jesus, led by the Spirit, towards the Father. Th these are our people. And the command is, is that we've got to love one another. Not enjoy sitting next to each other, not high fives and smiles when we see on Sunday. Love one another. And the way that that's defined, because Jesus doesn't let us loose to make it up on our own, is by the way that he's loved us. This is a command straight from Jesus, not a suggestion, not a proposed attitude or attribute for your consideration, not an offered opinion, right? These are Jesus' last final hours before he is arrested and sent to the cross. Get it? And so as he goes, it's important to carry the weight that Jesus carries when he says, you're gonna, I command you to love each other the way that I've loved you. Now, we have four boys in the Kaufman house. 
And I can tell you, one of the things that is deeply important to Ray and I is that our boys love one another, right? Whether it's Nerf guns, Nintendo Switch, who gets the last cookie, which is always me, right? Dad rules. But I would even say this, if, if, if Ray and I, for whatever reason, if something were to happen and we, both of us, were to have an untimely death and we were to leave our boy, I can tell you one of the things that would be most important to us is to know that they would grow up loving each other. You know what I'm saying? That there wouldn't be fractions and nobody talking to each other and everybody's angry and hostile. And it would, it would be deeply important to us that in our family, that our boys love one another. Think about this on a Jesus scale where he's talking to his disciples before he sets them off. Because what happens if they don't? And unfortunately for too many of us, we, we kind of know too well because we can kind of get in our own little spaces. We can back ourselves in our own little corners where we feel comfortable and we kind of push whatever we think, love your, each other, you know, your neighbor, whatever that means. We get to redefine that. And we set up a situation that's comfortable so we don't actually have to do this. But I want you to hear from Jesus. He's about ready to leave. He's about ready to go to the cross. Things are about to get real. And what he tells his disciples is a command to love one another in the way that Jesus has loved them. The question is, do you really think he expects you to obey? Do, do you really think for you? Now, you can, if we were to, you know, theologically, do we pass the test and say he, he believes this? Of course. But do we believe like a convicted truth that he meant this and that we're actually supposed to do it? That we're supposed to fight through the barriers and overcome the obstacles for us to be these kinds of people who love in this kind of way. Now think of all the way Jesus has loved you. His grace in your life, his mercy when you didn't deserve it, his forgiveness over you, his kindness in your life, the salvation that you did not earn but was freely given. What about the redemption out of where you used to be into where you are now? Think about his love over your life. The godless world around us for 2,000 years has been trying to redefine love in a way that fits what they want it to mean. Yeah? But let's be honest. So's the church. We need to realize that we also tend to redefine love in a way that fits what we're comfortable with. We so often want a love that lowers the bar of what's expected of us. We want a love that gives us the freedom to decide who we think is deserving of our love. There are certain lines in society we don't want to cross and have to love those people. But that's not the situation Jesus set up. Jesus let us know what kind of love he's looking for from his disciples, and it's the kind of love that looks like his kind of love that so often broke through barriers, that crashed the gates, that went to other people, uh, that found the ones that nobody else was going to, and even accepted the ones of everybody who thought they were good enough. That as he loves, it changes the game. Jesus isn't asking us to simply love a little better than other people. The standard he's setting is to love others the way we've received Jesus' love and experience it. And listen, I've read this a couple times over the last few weeks thinking in some ways that almost seems impossible. 
Because that's a pretty heavy love. But if we read it again, you've got to understand that he's serious. This is his command. We don't get to water it down, our definition of love, so that it fits our expectations. We are commanded to live up to the high bar of the way that Jesus has loved us and love one another in the same way. Which means, in this room, you should be receiving hundreds of people's love in your life. Now, love isn't always cushy, right, with, with like the heart emoji with the eyes and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes love's calling you out on your stuff because people love you too much to keep letting you go in the way that you're going. Sometimes love doesn't look super nice. Sometimes it looks necessary. You get what I'm saying? Oftentimes, pay attention to Jesus' words though, it's to be done with gentleness. There's a heart and a, and a, and a culture and a nature behind this love. But that that's supposed to be expressed. And in the same way, we're supposed to be receiving that from you. And if you think of what a church like that looks like, where the fullness of Jesus' love on us, so much as we're able to express it today, gets poured out of our life to the believers around us. And we get to receive that from the believers that we live life around. Think of what that looks like in our lives and in our families. John 15, 13, he goes on and says this, greater love has no one than this that one lays down his life for his friends. I love, uh, Warren Wearsby is one of my favorites. For a while was the pastor at Moody Church, has taught at multiple Bible colleges and seminaries, wrote so many things that have been incredible for me in my own walk, uh, passed away not too long ago. But I love this quote from him. He says, Christian love is not basically a feeling. It's an act of the will. The proof of our love is not in our feelings, but it's in our actions. Start to feel the heaviness of when Jesus says, love each other the way I've loved you. Right? Do you love me? Yeah, yeah. No, I love you. It's like, well, I can't tell. It's like, well, it's true. So just deal with, you know, I promise, you know, it's, it's there. But I hope you are grabbing onto this. It's not, it, this isn't cute sentimental stuff. This, this is hands and feet of Jesus type stuff. Uh, Mother Teresa defined love as giving until it hurts. There's an actionable part of love that plays its way out. There's certainly emotion buried in there. There's conviction that shows up. Uh, th- there's a truth that we plant ourselves in but it shows up in the way that we love each other. 1 John 3.16, it's another good John 3.16, says this. This is how we know what love is, right? Pay attention because Jesus' love is actionable. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Mind you, that's scripture. That the way we love each other, uh, it, it, has, it has meat to it. There's substance involved. There's a thing we can't get rid of. We've got to engage into it. It is not easy. Right? Go reread the Golgotha scene and ask how easy love is. Get it? 
And as we read through, I hope what we're seeing is the depth of it. Jesus isn't asking us to make sure we're loving others better than some other people around us are loving people. The model of love we are evaluating ourselves to and being discipled towards is Jesus and the way he has loved us. People need to see God's love. And we're the ones commanded to show other believers in our church family what it looks like. Here's the next part is this invitation, this, 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 it's out there, we can be friends of the king. Friends is a weird term, because you want to redefine love, maybe we need to redefine friendship. Here, Jesus says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, to some, that might sound fairly manipulative, right? And if one of our boys told the other boy, hey, you can be one of my friends if you give me all your chocolate from our trip, Right? That feels like, well, I mean, I don't know if that's how this is going to work. But I want us to fully understand what's going on here. Jesus isn't manipulating anybody. He's offering an invitation that none of us deserve. Who we're talking about is Jesus, the long-expected anointed one of God who has established a new kingdom and reigns as king. That king said we can be friends. The condition is that we adopt the lifestyle, the behaviors, the attitudes, the actions that he's commanded us to live into. It's to live like him in the culture of the kingdom that he came to establish. It's that we would be with him and like him, that we would take on this mantle of what it means to be his. And as we live under that, we become friends of the king. Jesus is going to talk about slaves and friends in this next verse, and language can be tricky. In this verse, I hope uh, it's helpful to understand, we can't think from our own country's history of Pan-African um, chattel slavery. That's not the picture being painted. It's the word doulos, it's translated as slave or servant. It takes a lot of forms and functions depending on how it was used in culture, but always notes a situation where someone's life is surrendered to the full authority, desires, and wishes of someone else usually a king, a lord, or a master. Then he uses the word friends. Not just your old buddies from high school. Not your uh, friends on Facebook that you actually don't know, right? Uh, this isn't a casual, it's not just buddy-buddy. Uh, the Greek word is philos. It translated here as friend, but it was also used to describe the inner circle around a king. Uh, kind of like the cabinet of a president. It was the people around that know what's going on. They get the full picture of what, the, what the, the king or the master of the Lord is dealing with. You got insider information so you can walk with the person who's leading all of it. But it also gets another note. In John chapter 3, Jesus uses this same word when he's telling the story of a best man at a wedding. But I think you can pick up the similar notes. It, it's, it's the groomsmen. It's the party surrounding the groom who take care of the groom that make sure that everything goes the way it's supposed to, that whatever the groom wants to happen, that's how this works and how this goes, right? It's not their wedding. It's not their kingdom. But they get to be in the inner circle of the king and they get to be in the inner circle of the groom so that they get to do whatever they want to do. And we live under that same authority but we've got a little bit of an insider note on what's going on. This person would be close, intimate, and vulnerable to the king, but they aren't the king. 
close, vulnerable, inside information to the groom, but this isn't his wedding. Slaves and servants and friends are not ideas that are in opposition to each other. It's not saying you've moved from one that's worse to, or, or one that's polar opposite to one that, he's saying it's almost like a, a transition. It's about moving into a different kind of relationship with Jesus based on his intimate openness to share with us his inner circle, what he's heard from the Father. That we get brought in because he's told us what God has told him. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. Get, that's the qualifier. Because it's not like you're trying to figure this out anymore. You, we've seen Jesus. We know him. But we can open up our word and we can encounter the person that is Jesus. <clears throat> we've watched who he is. We've heard how he's talked. We've seen how he's treated people. What he's shared is what God gave him to share. We have that, so now we get to be friends. But I've called you friends, this is crazy, for all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. That's a lot. For all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You know what he's been told. We've got what he's shared. And because of the information that's been passed on, we get brought in. The difference that Jesus is painting is that a slave is out of the loop and doesn't know what's going on, still serving, still, still at the, uh, the, the, the call and request of the king, but a friend has access to the king and is in the loop and is trusted. And listen, if you think that's not good enough, in Romans 5, we find out in our sin we were God's enemies. So that's the starting point, right? And then through Jesus... Not only do we like move into like slaves, we move into friendship. It's kind of like the prodigal son who's uh, sitting at the hog trough realizing the food's run out and if he could just be one of his father's servants, that would be good enough. But what he doesn't get as servant, what he gets is son. Consider where your life is or has been on your own and don't miss how powerful it is that God not only can or has redeemed you out of where you are or where you have been, but that he considers you a friend and that he loves you and has made known to you what you need to know to walk in his ways and his commands. We can be friends with the king if we keep his commands. The question isn't whether or not we've got what we need to do it. The question is whether we do it or not. The next one is this. We are picked and placed to produce lasting fruit. You are picked and placed to produce lasting fruit. John chapter 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. We need to understand our spiritual story to fully understand the heaviness of Jesus' lordship. We didn't pick God. On our own, we tend to choose everything but God. God chose us, he selected us, he picked us. And like junior high dodgeball, lined up, Picking teams, I shouldn't be picked at all if we're looking at being worthy. Not only were we picked, we were picked by Jesus. If you want a team captain to choose you, this is a good one. 
He picked us, but he also appointed us or placed us or set us, all describing position and placement. What I want you to see is your placement has a purpose. Look around you, your friends, your family, your neighborhood, your workplace. You are, you are where you are for a reason. And Jesus gives us the reason that you would go and that you would bear fruit. The problem is, is for a lot of us, we look at where we're placed and we're trying to figure out what we get from it. How do we, how do we take from where we are so that we get better? You notice Jesus, he says, you're also supposed to be there to, to go, but also to bear fruit. They need what you've got. Not to stay where you've been or slide back into your comfort or your normal, but to go, but not just to go, but to bear fruit. Pat nailed this last week. Remember, your fruit carries seed. Meaning, right? If you take a bite into an apple, you're going to see maybe five apple seeds. And if you plant those apple seeds, you'll get maybe five apple trees and give it seven to 10 years. And each one of those will produce hundreds of apples every year. And because you took what you were and, and God positioned you and placed you and you were planted and you started producing fruit and that fruit gets given away and all of a sudden you start seeing everyone around you gets to receive the goodness of God because it's flowing out of the way you've loved them, your enemies, your neighbors, your church family, because this fruit is pouring out. That is what's going on. And that you would, and that your fruit would remain. What it means is this isn't like good deeds like fireworks, right? You did something really nice and then boom, and everyone's like, whoa, I didn't know you were that nice. You're like that last Tuesday, last Tuesday I was that nice, right? And then you wait for the next good thing that happens. And then the next good thing that happens, it's not waiting for these one-off opportunities to do good things, pay attention. It's like a continual wind in a sailboat. The steady flow remains and it continues. And so long as that is continuing and it's moving, you are moving in direction. You get to experience the goodness of what it is. It's not just to do good things, but to live a life of continually bearing fruit that blesses and benefits the people around you, where because you are remain attached to the vine and you are the branch, the life from that branch comes up or from that vine comes up through you and you are regularly, continually producing fruit. Read through their Old Testament, there's images uh, where, where God says it's like a tree planted by a stream that no matter if you're in the middle of a desert... You're going to produce fruit in season and out of season. Your leaves aren't going to go brown. They'll stay green. Why? Because of where you're planted and what's flowing through you. Say it this way, who's flowing through you? That instead of complaining about the fallenness of the world around us, we're trying to figure out how do we produce more fruit so that they keep getting a better image of who God is. Get it? Jesus continues. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. I won't unpack it because Pat did an amazing job a couple weeks ago with what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Go back and watch it. But what it is, is man, listen, if we are these kinds of people, when you live the kind of life where we're loving each other the way Jesus has loved us, where we're modeling that kind of life to each other and the people around us. 
where we understand where we are with God and how blessed we are through the grace we've been given to live that. And we start to see how little of this we deserve, but how much of it's been freely given. And we understand that there's a way we're supposed to live this out. And Jesus has commanded us ways to do it. And when we do that, we start producing fruit that, that doesn't just show up one season and we never see it again. It is ever flowing and always moving that when we live those kinds of lives, Jesus, that's the kind of person you can pray for whatever you want. In my name and the Father's going to give it to you. Because there's so much maturing that has to happen in that process. There's so much change that's got to go on in our lives. There's so much laying down and putting things on the altar of strongly held beliefs and biases and preferences that when we lay all that down, there's a maturing that happens that forms our heart to the heart of the Lord. So that when we're praying, we're not asking for my will be done. We're asking for thy will to be done. The last one is this. We are commanded to love each other. I love that he finishes. I like Jesus' bookends because some of us, we get rolling and we forget what he meant in the first place. That we're commanded to love each other. John 15, 17. This I command you, that you love one another. Now listen, if, if Jesus has given you his final words before he leaves, that's good enough. If he repeats his final words, you should be paying attention. He starts with, I've commanded you to love one another in the way that I've loved you. He finishes with, don't forget that I've commanded you to love one another. We are commanded in scripture to love the Lord our God. We are commanded in scripture to love our neighbors. We are commanded in scripture to love our spouses and our families. We are commanded in scripture to love foreigners. We are commanded to even love our enemies. But Jesus is pointing out a different group here. We're commanded to love each other. Jesus isn't hoping we love each other. He's expecting us to love each other. He's commanding us to love the other disciples around us. One of the greatest issues we deal with as the church is not the decaying culture of the world around us. Don't forget, Jesus told his disciples, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. One of our biggest issues we need to address is that too often we as the church, we pick and choose which commands we want to obey. We know how we're supposed to love. He's already told us the way Jesus loves us. We know the relationship we have with Jesus when we do obey. The anointed king calls us friends. We get to be groomsmen to this wedding. We get to be uh, in the inner circle of the king. We know the purpose for the loving calling that God has put on us to go and bear discipleship fruit that will last and continue. We also need to know that this isn't a sentimental suggestion from Jesus. This is a command that carries divine authority and power. One of the things that I've loved ever since our first Sunday at Moraine Valley is I love this room. I love the way this room's set up. Because every week when we worship, it's easy to look around at the people around us. It's not just about what's happening on stage. Right? Go ahead. You're nosy, so look around. <laughs> you want to know what people are wearing? Right? That's not their seat. How'd they end up over there? Some of you are mean mugging the person that took your seat. All right? So chill out. We're good. Okay? 
But really, there is, a, there is a spirituality to the architecture of this room. Because we get to see each other when we're worshiping. We're worshiping the Father, but we're not doing it alone. We do it together. We're in the Word, but we're doing it together. We get to look around. We get to see the people that God's called us into, this community, this family of believers. And His command is just that we would love each other. Not just that you have a warm, fuzzy, nice kindness towards these people, but that you love like Jesus has loved you, that you love us the way Jesus has loved you. Sacrificial, uh, sacrificial. Ray's gonna make fun of me, I make up words sometimes. (laughs) Sacrificial, loving, mercy, and grace-filled love that requires the submission of your own wants and desires for the good of us around you. If we, choose, if we love each other the way Jesus has commanded, then you'd better make room next to you because everyone wants to be a part of community where the people are lovingly taking care of each other like that. I don't know anybody that doesn't want that. And sometimes we forget that's actually what people need. Sometimes we forget it's actually what we need. And so the call isn't wait till you receive it. The command is you give it. And the more you love the church around you, watch the love that you receive back. The more you pour yourself out, watch the way you get poured over. The, 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 the way that you show people who Christ is and what he's done in your life. Wait till you get the overflow of what that means in their own life as it washes over you. First John chapter 419 says we love because he first loved us. If I'm left to come up with what I think love is, listen, the Don Kaufman definition will be so self-centered and weak that it's not going to do anything. But if I look first at the way Jesus loved me, then I'm going to spend my entire life understanding and pursuing the ultimate example of love. I'm not going to have it figured out tomorrow, but I can grow closer tomorrow than I was yesterday. Romans chapter 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning he didn't wait for you to get your act polished up. You didn't have to get it all figured out first. You didn't have to get cleaned up before you came to the throne. That while we were still sinners, separated from him and running away from him, he still showed up and died for us. When you look at the world around you, don't forget this truth from your life. Because he's not waiting for you to get it all together first while you were far from him. And he's not waiting for them either. But what he is looking for is people who love like him, who show up to them so that they feel and understand and express this poured out from us. He still died for you, but remember he died for them too. 1 John 4, 16, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. I hope that you're there. I hope you can say that with truth, that you've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. In a culture where love is God, it's helpful to be reminded that God is love. The definition of it flows out of his character and his reputation. And whoever abides in love, if you're there, you're going to be in God because it's found nowhere else. And God abides in him. 
when we walk out and live out the love that God has for us, we make our home in him and God makes his home in us. And we remain, we abide in each other. We walk together. We live in this. In Ephesians chapter five, verse two, I'll end with this one. Paul tells the church in Ephesus to walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Not just to feel love, not just to believe that it exists, not to just be thankful that one time 2,000 years ago God loved you so much that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life but to walk that out as though it's actually true in your life, to live it out, to love it out, to let the people around you know that your definition of love is found in the character of the Father. And they know that because they see him in you, they see him through you, because it's pouring out from you in the way that we see each other and we love each other. We are commanded to love each other, and I don't think Jesus was kidding. So, Let's live like Jesus and do what he did to the people in our church. Because he gave us a command to love one another as he's loved us. Would you stand and pray? Lord Jesus, as we As we come to the end of this section of your word and this teaching, as we enter into a, uh, a time of, of, of praying, uh, being able to share through these lyrics into a melody and worship, Father, as we, as we try to wrap our minds around the love that you have for us, let alone how we're supposed to live and love that out, Father, for those of us in the room that don't know that love yet from you, Father, would you make that known? Would you help those in here that don't know that? Would, 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 would you move in a way to where they know it didn't come from a sermon or a worship service, it came from you? That whatever their story is, whatever the hurt they're bringing or baggage they've got or guilt or shame that they're carrying, that they would see that through that, you know all of that, you see all of that, and you love them the same. Father, for those of us that have known that but haven't lived it, God, would you get a hold of our hearts and, and help us be reminded we, there's still a long ways to go in this Jesus-following way. Father, would we, would we start to love each other further and deeper and more obvious and more actionable than what we've been doing? Would, would you break, and man, maybe it was quarantine or some weird stuff in the last couple years, would you break all that stuff up and create a, a, a good soil to plant this seed in so that when it grows, it doesn't get choked out, it doesn't bump up and get rocks or picked up and thrown away, that it bears fruit in our lives. Father, would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen.